Right, next up I've got Owen. Owen Hart is going to come and read scripture for us. And then we will go into the word of God. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so know also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel." and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and not from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is true. And we pray, Lord, that your word will be spoken through these feeble lips and that we would both speak and hear alike, hear your word, and hear what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that we will not be hearers only, which deceives ourselves, but we will be hearers and doers of your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Owen. All right, we are going on in the letter to the Philippians. Last week, Pastor Ryan spoke a little bit about suffering, and that was a hard sermon. I'm not promising that this is going to be an easy ride. This is going to be a bumpy ride too, but it's necessary for us to go through these bumpy rides together as we, as we come together in Scripture. Today I want to speak about the hallmarks of a mature believer. The hallmarks of a mature believer. Our text was from Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 30. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take it from then and put it into three, three specific spaces where I think it would be good for us to talk in context of what is happening around us. The word is not just to learn the theological words and all these other things, but the word is to apply in our lives today. So we're going to have a lot of things that applies to our lives today and to how we conduct ourselves in our lives today as believers. Amen. So I want to start with talking a little bit about the confidence that Paul has and the interdependence that he has. And I, I want us to start here that Paul realizes that his circumstances are circumstances of suffering at this point. He knows that. He sees that. He does not run away from it. We had last week, we do not run away from suffering. We face it knowing that God is with us. And Paul faces the suffering. He's not in denial of it. He doesn't pretend it's not there. He doesn't pretend and put his head in the sand and say nothing is happening. But he realizes that. 
But in, the, in realizing those circumstances, Paul says, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. Paul has confidence in that in all situations, whatever happens, whether he's brought before Nero, we know the story of Nero, the, the Caesar of that time, who was beheading and burning Christians. He says, even in that situation, knowing that I might be brought before him, I might come into a place of losing my life. I know that all this will turn out for my deliverance. He has confidence in God. Today, when we face situations, where is our confidence? Do we have confidence in money? Do we have confidence in friends? Do we have confidence in our jobs? Do we have confidence in our possessions, in our education? No, our confidence is in Christ. So Paul is confident here. Whether the situation looks pretty dark, he knows. He says, I am confident. And then he goes on, and then he speaks a little bit, and then he says, I am confident because of your prayers. There comes interdependence. He's dependent on their prayers. It feels like, he, it feels like his confidence is connected to the prayers of the Philippian church. He says, through your prayers... So he knew that they were praying for him. Through your prayers, that deliverance is going to come. Through your prayers, I know that I have confidence in what God has called me to do. And as a church, our confidence is not just in ourselves. It is in walking together and praying for one another. When we spend time here on our knees, then spending time here on the gossip, we will be, we'll be great. And we are called to walk and spend most of our time on our knees praying for one another. Not talking about one another. Praying for one another. And Paul realizes that this church prays for him and he is confident because of that. But also not only confident in that, he is confident that there is going to be a supply from the Holy Spirit. And he links that supply to the fact that the Philippians are praying for him. He's not just confident that they are praying for him. He's confident as well that as they pray for him, the Holy Spirit gives them the energy and the power to do what he's been called to do. We are able to do what we are called to do as Christians, as believers. Because of, yes, there are people are praying for us, but also the Holy Spirit is our engine that keeps us going. The Holy Spirit is the fuel that keeps us going. So he says the supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. The supply of the Spirit of Christ Jesus meets our needs. It all comes through the prayers that Paul speaks about from the Philippians. Paul's needs are met by the Spirit of God. But this provision to Paul was brought by the prayers of the Philippians. I want you to see those things. Number one, his needs are met by the supply of God's spirit. But those provisions for these needs are brought by the prayers of the Philippian church. He says, my earnest expectation and hope in, is that um, in nothing I shall be ashamed. I shall not be ashamed. 
He says he's going to stand before Caesar and not be ashamed. Where is this confidence coming from? It's coming from Paul knowing that he is right in the center of God's will. When we know that we are right in the center of God's purposes and will and plan, we do not panic. Things might get as bad as they could be. Things were as bad as ever when it came to, um, to the Christians at that time. Nero was burning them up. They were accused of burning part of Rome, which was not their fault. Even the people who accused them later have, later have, have, have we found things that they wrote that speak amazing things about Christians, about their conduct and the way they, how they handled themselves in that. But in all that, Paul still, still sees himself as somebody who is confident that even I'm in this suffering, I am right in the center of God's will. He knew and he understood that God was not punishing him through the suffering he was experiencing. And then Paul goes on and says, So that Christ may be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul lived a life that did not promote himself, but promoted Christ. He says, Christ will be magnified whether I live or whether I die. No matter how I live or no matter how I die, my goal is Christ be exalted in this. And I want to ask you today, would you say that your life is to the glory of Jesus? Even the sufferings that you're facing you're holding yourself and, and putting yourself, as you walk through this, you, you are carrying yourself in a way that glorifies God through them. He says, when I lay my life down, I want to glorify God. And I am pleased at the opportunity to glorify God, even in my suffering. And then Paul goes on to one of my favorite scriptures when I was, my favorite scripture when I was single. This will sound weird, but it's true. When I was single and young and naive, this was my scripture, my life scripture. For me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. I'll tell everybody that and until I got married and then I had kids. And I started to think, oh, Lord, <laughs> you know. So what I'm saying is Paul here comes here and he says this. And he says for him to live, it is Christ. And for him to die, it is gain. Paul says, to me, he doesn't say to us. He says, to me, to live is Christ. And again, he repeats it, to me, to die is gain. That points to the fact that Christianity, the life of a Christian is a personal life. It's a life of personal enga engagement. It's not a heritage. It's not something that you catch because your grandmother was a Christian. It's not something that you catch because your father was a preacher. It is a personal decision. Paul says, to me. It's not caught in the air. You don't smell it. It's not like the flu that you catch in the air. It's a reality. It's something that you make a decision. And it's not a soft option. You hear what Paul is talking about. He's talking about being in prison. It's not a soft option. If you thought that Christianity is a soft option, I'm sorry, you bought the wrong thing. It's not soft. It's hard. And it takes guts. 
Because it's allegiance to Christ no matter what happens. It's putting your life in the hands of Christ no matter what happens. And Paul, we hear him here. He's saying for me to live, I live a specific way. For me to live, I live a specific way. For me to die, I die with hope knowing that it's not the end for me. And I love it because Paul speaks about both life and death and tells us here that yes, we live. And when we live, we live to Christ. And when we die, we die to Christ. When, you, when you're talking about, when Paul talks about the way that I live, he's speaking about the way that, you know, as I say, that Christianity is not a soft, being a Christian, it's not, it's not a soft, cushiony life. We face everything like everybody else. But when we face it, we face it with hope. And we face it with God on our side. We don't face it on our own. That's the joy of what comes with that. And he says, as I live, to live is Christ. Meaning that I have dedicated my life to Christ so that I can live with him. When you have given your life and your heart to somebody, you want to spend the whole of your life with them. It's not an imposition to spend time with them. And I want to encourage us, as we have given our lives to Jesus, so for those who have in here, it's not an imposition. It should be a joy. If you're one of those people who say, oh yeah, I can only stomach it for two hours at church and I can't do it again a week. Two hours a week is enough for me. That's a problem. You're going to have a problem even in heaven because it's going to be 24-7 of worship. And again, Paul says to live is Christ, meaning for us to live this Christian life that is not soft is possible because of the work the initiative that God did for us. God initiated work to make it possible for us to live. To live this life of Christianity is possible because of what Jesus has done. He started the work. Philippians 1, 6, we read earlier a few weeks ago, told us that, that he began a good work in us. He began it and he will continue to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So we live in that life knowing, knowing it's a, we are able to do it, knowing that he has taken the brunt of it. And he's going to bring it to completion. So it's not completed yet. We are still under construction. So there are things that we are still working on. Because it's not completed yet. The day of Christ Jesus has not come yet. It's not completed. But he is continuing to work in us. And what is he working? The image of his son to shine through us. And then Paul says, to die is gain. Christians should not be afraid of death. We should not be afraid of death. People die are afraid of death because they think that's the end. And they are defeated in death. To a Christian, death is not a defeat. It's just a graduation to glory. We move from one citizenship to our real citizenship, which I'm going to speak about later. Spurgeon says, when men fear death, it's not, it's not certain that they are wicked, but it's quite certain that if they have faith, it is very weak and in a sickly condition. A Christian should not be afraid of death. When we're in a place where we know and we have this trust in Jesus, we are not afraid 
to die. But then Paul goes on and says, but if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Paul goes on now and he speaks about that if he lives, he is confident still even in life that God made it so that he will be fruitful. He's going to be fruitful whether he's in jail or he is a free man. He realizes that the fruit is not bound by the bars that are in front of him. And I want to encourage you, child of God, your fruitfulness is not bound by legislation that might be there or that might not be there. Your fruitfulness is a spiritual thing and it works out in the physical. God has a purpose and a plan. He is in charge. Whether there is a wicked king or not, whether there was Nero or not, God is in charge. As of Christians, when we fail to see that, then we are distracted by many other things. Let me not take myself too, too much ahead. All right, then Paul speaks a little bit. He goes on to the conduct and the cause of a Christian. Paul says to the Philippians, how do I want you to conduct yourself? What do I want you to do in my absence since you did it as well in my presence? Verse 27. Paul calls them to, to a conduct, to a certain type of conduct. The, he uses in that scripture, he starts with only let your conduct be. And then he speaks about it. He calls them to walk in a certain way. He's equally, last week we spoke that he is equally concerned about the content of the gospel, but he's also equally concerned about the lives of those who claim the gospel. When we claim that we know the gospel, we don't need to just say it. We need to live it and walk it. And that's what Paul is saying here. And I'll show you why I'm saying that. All right. So this word conduct is a Greek word, which is polutemai. Polutemai is a Greek word which is translated conduct. Um, it speaks about living as a citizen. Um, Paul speaks about being a good patriotic citizen of the kingdom of God, 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 patriotic citizen of the kingdom of God. Paul calls us to that. This is not our home. We are passerbys. We don't make tent here and stay here and then be all satisfied with what is here. Our citizenship is above. And when, when, where we are waiting for a savior who's going to come down. Amen? When we realize that and when we know that, we are not going to be bound with the things that are here, that are temporal. This world and the things that we see are temporal. And Paul calls us to realize that our citizenship is where things are permanent, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where our citizenship is. And he says how we live as those citizens. And, and also he calls them to come to a place where they bind together the gap between their belief and their conduct. It's easy to say, I believe. But the, 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 the real test is on how we walk this. It's very easy to say it. Anybody can say, I'm a believer. Anybody can say, I believe in Jesus. The demons believe and they tremble. The Bible tells us that, doesn't it? 
Anybody can say, I believe. But the issue is on the walk. The mouth needs to match the feet as we walk. So the, this word again, polutumai, also speaks, is used, that's where we get the word police. That's where we get the word politicians or politics. Politics comes from that word, polutumai. Police comes from that word, polutumai. And that's, that word is specific for that kind of conduct. That is why it's speaking about how Christian politics should look like. And this is where I'm going to step on somebody's toes a lot. And I've been praying this week, Lord, help me that they don't throw tomatoes at me. But to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would rather tell the truth. And you don't like me afterwards, so praise Jesus. But one thing that we need to realize is that we have taken so much of this world's politics and we have bought so much on this world's politics that we have forgotten who we are. We are not cheap. The price that Jesus paid was not cheap. The price Jesus paid was not cheap. It was not just Washington. The price that Jesus paid was for us to be citizens and live as citizens of heaven here on earth. We are ambassadors. When an ambassador comes to a country, they don't then become a citizen of that country. They are still citizens where they are coming from and they are representing their country in the country that they are in. The Bible tells us we are ambassadors. Why are we brought so much into the politics of this world that we divide ourselves, that we devour each other? Where did we get that from? We go on and we speak about, yes, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Great. But we are losing the focus of why we are here. We are here to be salt and light. We are not here to be conservative, Republican, or, 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 or Democratic, whatever they call them. I don't even know those two words well. We are not called to do that. We are called to represent a kingdom that never comes to an end. We are called to represent a kingdom where Jesus is king. And there we are as Christians, spending our time, spending most of our time talking politics of this world and buying into politics of this world. And some of you, I know some people have said, no, we are doing this. We are, um, this is a phrase that I've had and I've asked myself so many times. I've looked for it in the scripture. I can't find it. The phrase that we are doing this uh, for the soul of the nation. The nation has no soul. People have souls. God called us to go to people. A nation has no soul. People have souls that need Jesus. And we are here as a church so that people would see Christ in us. And we, we are so twisted in our way. The Bible tells us that our speech and our conduct, the way we behave ourselves, should be a way that brings glory to God, should be a way that, is, that makes the gospel to be, in Titus, he says, the gospel to be attractive. What is the face of a conservative evangelical these days? If you were to ask your neighbor on a reality who's not a believer and ask them, what, what does the church stand for? They'll have a, a litany of all these things and nowhere close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are we known for all these things and never known for the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Christ crucified and Christ risen. That's the gospel. That's the good news that saves the world. And we may say, oh yeah, we're doing this so that the future would be saved. The future is in the hands of the man of Galilee. The future of humanity is not in Washington. It is in the hands of the man of Galilee who was nailed on the cross. And on the third day, he rose again with power. That's where the future is. Broadway, wake up. The enemy is blowing a steam of sleep over the church through politics. And we are biting each other. We are devouring each other. We are not called to that. I'm sorry, this makes me very angry. Because we are not called to that. We are called to walk as Christ walked. And why are we doing all this? Why are we doing all this to one another? The gospel of Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew, to the Greek, and to everyone. The gospel of Jesus Christ today, again, is the power of salvation to the homosexual, to the one who aborts, to the one who, uh, who's a murderer, to the one who is a Christian. It is the power of God to all. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know, and I'm excited that we're going to have these types of legislation that are going to help us to do things, but we need to realize we cannot legislate people's hearts. The hearts of people are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we start to put our focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, people's hearts will be changed. There won't be need for legislation. Because we see people's hearts are changed. It's so sad to hear how much we've become hypocritical as Christians. And I'm counting myself in this. Because I found myself saying things. Found myself believing things and doing things in this society that we're in. We've gotten ourselves into a mess. We've mixed it up with things that don't need to be mixed up. We hear ourselves talking about, well, if we do this... If we, for example, good example, recently I was, this really bugged me and I thought, man, Lord, help me. I have, I, I'm excited that Roe v. Wade might be, uh, get to a place where it's cut down and it's no longer law of the land. I'm excited for that because I am pro-life. But being pro-life means being pro-all life. If we are pro all life, then we are believers who believe that every life, even the person who is in jail, their life is precious because they are made in the image of God. Even the person who is a sinner, their life is precious because they are made in the image of God. And I want to challenge us, Broadway, as we walk this. Why do we want to be the people who are known? If you ask the world, if you ask people who know you, what is it that you stand for? What do you think they would say? Would they put politics or would they put the gospel of Jesus? Our conduct, our politics come from there, not from the mix of things that are here. Yes, we'll be involved in politics. We have to. But it doesn't mean that we put our, all our eggs in the basket of politics. We don't shoot from politics. 
Our bow, our bow and arrow has not an arrow that shoots from politics. Our arrow is, the arrow is a spiritual arrow of the gospel of Jesus. When we miss that, we have missed the whole boat. And I want to encourage us, as we hear Paul speaking here, that we will stand fast in one spirit and one mind. He calls them to walk together, to be together. He calls them to, to, to be together. But before he does that, he says, so that I will know, I will hear and know, which is accountability. And he says, I want to hear and know. How accountable are we in our walk? It's very easy to say things because we know that we're not going to be accountable for them. We need to be accountable as believers. We are not only accountable to Jesus, but we are accountable to one another because we are called to walk together. And I want to encourage you as we walk out of here that we walk out with a sense of that accountability that Paul speaks about. Then Paul goes on and speaks about the purpose, unity. He says, you, that I would hear that you are united in one. You are united. What did Jesus pray for in John? That the church will be known for being united and for our love for one another. He said, Father, keep them as one as, me, as I and you are one. We are called to unity. And I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, as you live here today, how is your unity radar looking like? Is it skewed to only people who do the same thing as you? We are a diverse body with one thing that unifies us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in that diversity of thoughts, of looks, of everything, what pulls us together is unity under the gospel. We are called to be united because of the gospel. He says to them, striving together for the faith of the gospel. When people meet us, they need to taste the same thing, which is Jesus. When people talk to me, they need to taste the same thing they talk to Tanya and taste, which is Jesus Christ. And at this point, there are Christians who are divided. We are divided as Christians. Oh, these are these types of Christians. These are these types of Christians. Nonsense. We are called to be one in Christ. And what unites us is the gospel of Jesus. Yes, there are things that we're going we're gonna to not agree on. But we should not look like fools scratching and whatever each other. We are called to unity of purpose and the purpose is for the kingdom of God. Our conduct as Christians is indicative of how people see the gospel of Jesus Christ. People see the gospel of Jesus Christ through us. We are accountable. Our conduct tells the world how Jesus is to look like. So ask, for, ask yourself that question. Is my conduct doing that? In Titus, speaking about the conduct of a believer, this is Paul writing to Titus. He's still in jail. Nero is still killing Christians. And he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. This is the guy who's, 
who's killing Christians, but he tells them, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authority, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always gentle towards everyone, to slander no one. What's this mad slinging that is happening amongst us? It's sad for me because the church, we complained. We complained when the Republicans were in power. And we said, oh, they don't, they don't respect President Trump and this and this. Today, we are the ones who are carrying flags that say, go, Brad, go Brandon. Seriously? Believers? Seriously? That's hypocrisy. We are called to be citizens of heaven and to represent God's kingdom well here on earth. I know it's stepping on people's toes. I'm sorry, but it's true. He says we conduct ourselves the way that would make the gospel to be known. We have stood some, for so many other things, and we need to move and stand for the gospel. Your conduct tells how the gospel is to be lived. Lastly, boldness and solidarity. Paul speaks here, the mark of a mature believer, believer is boldness and solidarity. And then he says, you should not be terrified by those who oppose you. The Greek word that is used there is potro. Potro is the word that is used there, which means terrified, which speaks of being scared suddenly. You know, when you, uh, the, the example that is used, used by one of the commentators is that you are in a situation, I've not been with horses, but some of you have been. They say it means skittish when you scare the horses and they jump and they run in different directions. And it says that word is used only one time in the New Testament, which is this time. And it says, do not be skittish, but be brave. Be brave because you know it brings your salvation. It is evidence of your salvation. Do not be terrified. Be brave. The reason why we are afraid, the reason why we are fighting like a cat that is inside a box is because we are afraid. Can we stop living in fear? Jesus is king, no matter who's in power. Paul here tells them, obey the authorities, the authorities that were killing them, because he knew that Jesus is king no matter what. When we know that, we are not terrified, we're not skittish. We don't make decisions without thinking, without consulting the king. We fight one another because we are afraid. When people are afraid of something, they respond with defense. But when we know, when we have confidence in Christ, we respond with the gospel because we know that we have confidence in him. We know what we know. We know who we've been called to. And he says, do not be afraid. Our security lies in the initiative of what God did for us. Our security doesn't lie in anything else. It doesn't lie in our economy. It doesn't lie in anything else. It lies in, by knowing, in knowing what Christ did for us. That's where our security is. So he says, do not be afraid. Do not shy away. And then he goes on and he says, again, that it has been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer. Suffering is a gift. And suffering for Christ's sake is a gift. 
not just suffering. Suffering for the things that we've done wrong, oh man, it's on us. Consequences of our deeds, they're on us. But suffering for Christ is a gift. And he calls us, he says, you've been granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer for Christ's sake. It's been granted to us. The reason why we fear and we fight one another is because we are afraid to suffer. We've experienced so much comfort that suffering seems to be something that is foreign to us. Dixon Edward Host, he was um, a British um, missionary to China, the successor to John Hudson that we, Hudson Taylor, we hear about a lot. And he became the director of China Inland uh, inland, uh, Missionaries. And this is what he said. He said, I do not appoint a missionary in the field until he first learns to wrestle with the evil one. Because if he or she has not learned to wrestle with the evil one, they will wrestle with their own fellow missionaries. That's the same thing with us in the church. We wrestle with one another because we've lost focus on that we are to wrestle the evil one. The principalities and powers of this dark present age. That's what we're fighting. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. But guess what? Christians, we are finding ourselves fighting against flesh and blood. We are called to fight against principalities and powers of darkness in the heavenly places. That's what we are called to fight. When we learn to fight that, then we won't fight each other, won't devour each other. One writer, Sinclair Ferguson, says, suffering is friction with which it polishes our graces. Our grace is polished through suffering. And suffering is an instrument that God can use to change us to the image of Christ. So why are we afraid of suffering? Why are we afraid to be opposed and suffer when we know that it is the instrument that God uses to polish us? We would look better if we learn to to walk in the suffering, if we are suffering for Christ, and to be able to do that well. It's been granted to us to believe in him. It's been granted enough to us to suffer for his sake, if needed. We fight because we're intimidated. We are called to be people who are brave. And Paul tells them that the same struggle that you saw me suffering, that's solidarity now. He says the same struggle. Remember in Acts chapter 16, when they went to Philippi and they met Lydia, and then afterwards they came out and this woman was going behind them, this girl saying, these are prophets and these are prophets and whatever, whatever. And Paul turned and rebuked the demon and he ended up in prison. And when he ended up in prison, actually before prison, he was flogged and then he ended up in prison. And then after prison, um, the jailer gets converted because they were singing praises with their bodies wrecked and flogged. They were singing praises to God. And God did a miracle. The chains fell off, the doors opened, the jailer tried to kill himself, and Paul said, hold on, we are all here. And that jailer that night, him and his family, salvation came to their home. Salvation came to them because of the way that Paul and Silas conducted themselves in the flogging. How many of us have been flogged for the gospel? But we are so afraid. Let us not be afraid. We are not people of fear. The Bible has got more than 366 times where it says, do not fear. 
We are not called to be people of fear. He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and a sound mind. And then he says, the same struggle, he talks about the same struggle, and we see that he's still in the same struggle, because where is he again? Back in jail. This Christian thing is working well for Paul, hey? From flogging to jail, then back again in jail. Now for the rest of his life, and then get killed. But he's not worried about that. The story of the gospel is growth through suffering for Christ. Not only then, but also if we read the church history and look about, look at it. If today, for example, today we're carrying Bibles that are written in English. Thank God for William Tendall. William Tendall was the first person to try and interpret and put it in English. And guess what the church in England did? Bent him at the stake and his Bibles suffering his suffering part of his suffering for christ produced this for us to be able to read it today first peter 4 12 through 19 says beloved do not do not think it's strange it's a strange concerning of fire when you face fire trials as though something strange was happening to you but rejoice to the extent you partake in christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he was blemished, but on your part, he is glorified. But let no one of you suffer as of murder and of a murderer, a thief or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. We glorify God when we suffer justly and we do it well. Jesus said in John 15, 8, do not be amazed when they hate you because they hated me. If I, the master, they hated, why would they love you? But still, did he go around and then saying to Peter, after Peter cut the ear of the guy who was arresting him, he says, no, no, we don't fight that way. Put the ear back. We don't fight that way. That's how we don't fight that way. The question here is that, is not whether or not we'll experience hardship, we'll experience opposition, we'll experience suffering. The question is how will we handle ourselves in that hardship and suffering? The question for us today is how are we handling ourselves? How are we handling ourselves in the current situation, political situations of our country? Are we being honorable to Jesus? Are we showing solidarity back to Jesus? Is our allegiance to Jesus or to this earthly country? Have we sold ourselves for this or are we sold out for that? That's my challenge for us today. Only let our conduct. And it's not only in this time that Paul speaks about this. The book of Colossians that we did a few years ago Paul speaks about doctrine. As soon as he finishes doctrine, the next thing is let your conduct be this. In the book of Ephesians, doctrine, but let your conduct be this. In the book of Romans, doctrine, but let your conduct be this. Our doctrine is great when we speak it, but our conduct is proof of our doctrine. And I'm calling us today as a church. 
where we need to repent, let us repent. Turn around. Where we focus so much on the things of here. Let go. Let God. He is, he is king whether or not whatever happens. Jesus is still king. Lord, we thank you that you are still king. We thank you that we can be at peace knowing that you have called us and you have started this work and you would continue it and bring it to completion. Lord, I thank you that we can trust you and we can rely on you because of your faithfulness. You are faithful. Help us, Lord, to live faithfully for you. In Jesus' name, amen.